Put our hands together unto the Lord. Truly, he is worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be praised today. We thank him and we praise him for what we can feel in the house today. I tell you, it doesn't take long to be here to understand that greater faith is more than just a name on the building. Uh, when you feel the worship here, uh, you know there's greater faith in the building. Uh, when you see the vision here, you know there's greater faith in the house. Uh, when you see the church planning coming out of here, you know that greater faith is not just a slogan. It's just not a name. Uh, it is a way of life. It is what this church is all about. Uh, greater faith and trusting God uh, and what God can do through us. Indeed, it's an honor to be here to experience greater faith with you. Bishop Nichols' mission is an honor to be here. Amen. We've connected some over the years. We didn't have a chance to spend a lot of time together. Man, I've admired a man that's not afraid to make a stand for what's right in this wishy-washy world that we live in. Amen. Uh, and indeed, to be here and see the great things that are happening. Good to have my wife here with me. I love her to come everywhere I go. She can't go all the time, amen, but when she is able to come, I'm always appreciative of it, amen, and thank you for all of you that are here today in the house of the Lord, uh, amen. Our key text this morning is going to come from 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 8, but as you turn your Bible there, I just want to take a few moments and thank this church. I mentioned that you have greater faith in many areas, but a great area you have greater faith is in your sacrificial giving. Amen. In 2020, we did not know what to expect in our Christmas for Christ offering, which is a primary means that we use to start new churches. In 2019, we raised $5.5 million throughout North America. And in 2020, with the pandemic and churches not meeting, we did not know what to expect. Uh, but the Lord blessed and moved. I know the enemy called 2020 an unprecedented year in negative ways, talking about calamity and job loss. Uh, but in the kingdom of God, it was unprecedented in revival and unity and growth. And we thank God for that. But I just want to thank you today because out of 4,900 churches in North America, this church was number two in Christmas of Christ giving with an offering of $91,475.55. That is a miraculous offering to give of $91,000 to plant churches throughout North America. And not just here, but just a short way to way, Hope, amen, and Elder Jackson and Brother Brian Nichols with Louisville Central being two of the top givers also in the neighboring district of Kentucky. Amen. So we thank this church for your giving, your sacrifice, and the example you do set of greater faith. And your, your bishop and Sister Nichols for their leadership here in the team that's here. Second Kings chapter 4 and verse 8. And the Bible says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, for it was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God which passes us by continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. Let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither. And he turned into the chamber and lay there. 
And for a few moments today, I'm going to preach to you on the topic of if you build it, he will come. Put your hands together one more time. Give the Lord praise. In Jesus' name, let us receive a word from you today. Change our hearts and minds uh, to be like you. Transform us. And let us receive your word and be like you today. You may be seated. They say the first rule of development is, if you build it, uh, they will come. As I travel around the country, I spend most of my time on the road for North American missions. Our country is just becoming one city the same like everywhere. I can pretty much drive down any interstate in any city and get to the newer part of town. I see a Starbucks being built, a Dunkin' Donuts being built, a bank around the corner, uh, you know, and a supermarket coming in. Uh, and you come back a few months later, and there's 3,000 homes there. Amen. Everywhere you go, it's starting to look the same. And, but I didn't come today to preach to you about development. Uh, I come to tell somebody that if you make a decision in your life, uh, that you are going to build a place for God uh, that God always shows up. You see, when God created everything, he created man for one reason. He created man to have fellowship. And the reason why God made you is that God wants to have fellowship with you. Uh, so if you make up your mind that I will build a place for God, uh, that God is going to show up. You know, I saw something on Facebook one day. There's not a lot of things good on Facebook. But someone said on Facebook, uh, they said, if I come to your house uh, and I do a job in 10 minutes uh, and I send you a bill, uh, you're not paying me for the 10 minutes it took me to do the job. Uh, you're paying me for the 30 years it took to get the skill to get it done in 10 minutes. Uh, but I come to tell somebody today uh, that when you walk into the house of God today, uh, what you feel today is not because of the few minutes you have been here. But over 20 years ago, Bishop Nichols came to New Albany, Indiana with his family, and he said, what? We're going to build a place for God. Uh, we're just going to step out in faith, uh, take a handful of people, and we're going to try to build a place for God. Uh, and because they decided that many years ago to build, a place for God, you can show up today and feel what you felt. Uh, you can show up today and worship like you worship because someone said, I'm just going to try to build a place for God and let God show up. Second Kings talk about a woman. And the Bible calls her a great woman. That means she was a woman of means, a, a woman who was well-known. And her house was on that main road on the way to Shunem. And Elisha would often pass by. And every time she saw Elisha passing by, she would beg him to come to her house to eat bread. I come to tell somebody today, if you're going to build a place for God, the first thing you have to do is have a place to break bread. Bread always signifies the word of God. And there must be a place in your life for the word of God. Uh, it can't just be on Sunday morning, only time you open your Bible. you got to have a place in your life for bread. But there's something about spending time in the presence of God. There's something about spending time in the word of God that you automatically want to spend more time. People don't understand. They say, why do you go to church so much? I don't ask you why you go to the baseball game so much and the football game and the mall, but just something about spending time with God. You want to spend more time with God. 
So they had this occasional relationship of breaking bread together. But she said to her husband one day, I perceive this is a holy man of God which passes by, but I'm tired of a passerby relationship. Let's build a place for him in her house. I want a place, a permanent place for him to dwell. I don't just want to have him pass by and wait for him to come. Let's build a place for him. And today I've come to ask somebody, do you have room in your life for God? God is not trying to fit in between your busy schedule. God is not trying to accept your leftover time. He wants somebody to say, I will build a place for God. You know, Bishop Nichols, I am convinced that the enemy has found it easier to keep the people of God busy than to get them to sin. And he don't care what keeps you away from doing the work and will of God if it's sin or if you're busy. You know, we had saints that couldn't come to Bible study because Johnny had soccer practice. I know that don't happen here. We had saints that couldn't come to Bible study because Mary had to go to band. Well, guess what happened in 2020? There was no soccer practice. There was no band. All that stuff was taken away from us. And guess what? We had to find that time to give to God. But sometimes I wonder about this woman. Because the Bible says that she was barren, she had no children. And back in those days, they didn't understand the medical causes for someone being barren, and they would judge her for that. But sometimes I've wondered if she had a house full of kids, if she had her next grandchild on the way, would she have been so busy building that nursery and building that playroom that she didn't even notice the man of God walking by? Sometimes it's your barrenness. Sometimes it's your need. Sometimes it's your lack. Sometimes it's what you're going through that says, I must build a place for God. But she told her husband, uh, when we build a place for God, we're going to put it on the wall. Uh, in those days, houses uh, had a wall around the top of the house, uh, and that was a center place of activity for that house. Uh, they would eat up there because it was hot inside the house many times. They would sleep up there where she was saying, honey, if we build a place for God, it's not going to be in the basement. It's not going to be behind the house. It's going to be right there on the wall. It's going to be the first thing people see when they come to our house. What what are you building there? That's the room for the man of God. That's a place for the man of God. The first thing people should see about you is the room you built in your house for God. It should be on the wall. It should be the first thing they see before they see your race, before they know what you drive, before they know what you belong to a political party. They should know, I built a place for God, and it's on the wall, and that was defined who I am. You see, because when they built a place, it changed their relationship. You see, before, the man of God could only come by uh, when they were on the front porch and said, why don't you come in? Uh, but now he had a room and he had a key. He could come anytime. Uh, and when you build a place for God, God is already there when you need him. You see, there were times that they would go to town now 
and come back from town. Uh, and much to their surprise, when they got back home, the man of God's chariot was out front. And they said to each other, we had no idea he was going to be here today, but he just showed up because now he had a room and a key to get in. Uh, and one thing about when you build a room for God at 2 o'clock in the morning and the phone just rang and you got the worst news of your life and you go to look for God and God is already there. Uh, sometimes you don't have time to call the pastor. Sometimes you don't have time to reach out. But right when you need him the most, uh, when you don't know where to turn, uh, but you built a room for God and God's already there. There's also something else about building a room. You see, I travel a lot, and it's not cheap to travel. You got to pay for that stuff. They don't give you hotel rooms for free. Uh, but see, when I go to Houston, uh, my brother lives in Houston. You know what I say? I can come early. I can stay late. Uh, I can be here as long as I want to be because I have a place to stay. And when you build a room for God, you give God a place to work in the world that we live in. You say, God, in my neighborhood, when you want to reach my neighbors, why don't you come right here? Uh, in my school, when you want to reach my friends, I'm going to build a place right here on my desk, right here in my cubicle at work. I'm just going to build a place for God right here in the midst of the evil world that we live. And God, when I build this place, this will be your home where you can work from, your headquarters. You say as long as you want. You say, but preacher, how do I know if I built a room for God? She told her husband, we got to put four things in the room. So the first thing, she said, honey, we're going to build a room. First, it must have a bed. You know, when you move into a new house or a new apartment, sometimes the husband's so excited. Say, honey, I'm tired of staying with your parents. Let's stay in our new house tonight. First thing she says is, there's no bed. She don't care about the china cabinet, the dresser. But where are me and her kids going to sleep? If Bishop Nichols invites me to his house and takes me to his guest room, and say, Brother Stewart, you stay as long as you want. And the only piece of furniture is one of these chairs. I'm going to be like, well, thank you very much, sir. But I'll stay a couple of hours at the most. I can't sleep in that chair. I need a bed to lay down in. And in the room you build for God, you got to put a bed there first. Uh, you're saying, God, uh, I don't want you just for two hours on a Sunday morning. I'm giving you a place to lay down. Uh, I'm giving you a place to live. Uh, I'm giving you a place to be comfortable. There's a bed here, God. Stay as long as you want to. Second thing she said must be a table. See, a table signifies not just a place for food, uh, but also a place for fellowship, a place to talk. You know, I grew up in a family with nine kids, 11 of us. So we never really had a dinner time because we couldn't all 11 fit around the same table. My mom would cook, and you ate when you were hungry pretty much. I got married, and we had our first child. My wife was raised in a family where her parents went to work every day together, came home at the same time together, and every night her and her three siblings, they would all sit around the table, and they would all eat together. My wife said to me, well, what time are we going to make dinner time for the family? I said, what's dinner time? She said, you know, you got to be home at a certain time so we can eat together. But guess what? I learned to enjoy that uh, because every day we would sit there, and the kids could talk to us, and we could talk to them and see how school was that day. 
Now, I know today you're sitting there on your phone the whole time, don't talk to each other. That's a whole nother message. Uh, but is there a place in your life where you can sit down and God can talk to you, uh, where you can sit down and God can feed you, where you're not rushing out the door in the morning and saying, God, this is what I need you to do today. And God says, honey, slow down. Sit down at the table. Let's fellowship. Let me feed you. Sit down. Let me spend some time with you. Is there a place in your life for that? The third thing she said, we must put a stool in the room. And to me, that stool signifies a throne, a place for God to sit in your life and tell you what to do. When I pastored in Tampa, so many people would come to church and tell me exactly what they needed God to do for them, but did not want to hear about what God needed them to do. Is there a place in your life where God can sit and God can tell you what to do. So growing up in my house, there was a chair in the living room that was called Dad's chair. And when Dad was at home, nobody sat in that chair. And Dad would sit in that chair and miracles would happen. The grass would get cut. <laughs> Dishes got washed. Rooms got cleaned. And dad didn't get out of that chair one time. How was that possible? Dad would sit in that chair and tell you what you were about to do. Is there a place in your life that God can sit and God can tell you what to do? The reason why God don't have a room in your house, there's nowhere for God to sit and tell you what to do. There's nowhere where the man of God that God has put in your life to watch for your soul can tell you what to do. It's not sacrifice if you agree with it. It's not sacrifice if it's what you want to do. There's got to be a place that God can tell you to do something. And you do it just because God said to do it. Preacher can spend 12 weeks with you, giving you a Bible study, and you see the revelation of the oneness of God in baptism, and you still don't do it because there's no place in your life for God to sit and tell you what to do. The fourth thing she said must be in that room is a candlestick. Because light does two things. Uh, light gives you light, uh, and light gives light to others. That's why the word says you overcome the enemy by the word of your testimony. God's going to put light in your path uh, to light your path and to show you the way and lead you and guide you and give you wisdom. But then God's going to use your light to be a light to others to say, I am following Christ. Uh, the devil tells him everybody is doing it. But you say, no, everybody's not doing it. I'm not doing it. My kids are not doing it. My family's not doing it. We built a room for God. And we're going to be a light unto the world. I know the scripture says that a man's gift maketh room for him. But I propose to you today, when you build a room for God, it makes a room for your gifts also. Some of you are also worried about when you're going to get to lead the choir and be on the praise team and speak on Wednesday night. You build a room for God. Uh, you build a place for God. Uh, and you put the bed there and the table there and the stool there and the candlestick there and let God work it out and work on you and make you who God wants you to be. God is no respecter person. He don't have a building code. It don't matter what you have to build with. You just take what you have and you build a room for God. Uh, 
You can put up for me the next slide that's on there. Amen. Uh, when you look at this picture, uh, this is the church that God called uh, my wife and I to build. Uh, and when you look at this picture and you see the pretty palm trees uh, and you see the beautiful building, it looks like a good part of town. Uh, but that is possibly the worst street corner in the entire city of Tampa. We moved into that building. We had drive-by shootings in the parking lot. We had stabbings in the parking lot with blood flowing there. Even the district board said to me, why would you want to put a church right there? Uh, I said to them, it's the safest place in town because 24 hours a day, seven days a week, when I come to my church, there's blue lights in the parking lot. The police were always there. I had free 24-hour security. Uh, we had to come to church early every Sunday morning and scrape up all the human feces uh, that was there in the drug paraphernalia before the ladies got to church. Uh, but guess what I begin to notice as month after month after month and year after year after year went by. The police were there less often. The drug dealers were gone. The prostitution was gone. Why is that? Because you build a place for God. And God is going to show up. But you don't know, want to talk to you about that $91,000 that you gave. Uh, because we had the chance to get into this building, and I was a church planner, and we were $5,000 short of the required down payment to get into this building, and our back was flat against the wall, and other people were lined up to get the building, and the landlord wanted us to get it, and $5,000 might not sound like a lot of money in a more established church, but to a church planner, $5,000 is life or death. We were able to apply for a grant for Christmas for Christ, for that $5,000 and move into that property. And because people like you give, there's a church right now in downtown Tampa. It covers a whole city block. We feed 70 people a day. We have a house on there that have transitional housing. And why is that? Because you build a place for God and God shows up. And miracles begin to happen. Now, look at the next slide. Crawfordville, Florida, church planner, had a chance to buy this building for $120,000 to a church planner. It might as well be $120 million. They didn't have the money for a down payment. He asked the people in his church, go to your job and ask for help with the down payment. Lady in his church said, I work for a pool company. I'm going to ask my boss. But then she got scared to ask her boss. She came Wednesday night, and he said, did you ask your boss for help? Amen. She said, no. I'll do it on Friday. She said Friday because he never came to work Friday. But that Friday he came into work and the Lord told her go and ask him. And he said how much do you need? And she gave him the amount for the down payment. He said how much do you need for the whole building? She said $120,000. Standing right there he wrote her a handwritten check for $120,000 and said go tell your pastor you can buy that building. And then because People like you give, we gave them $25,000 to remodel the building so a church could be built. Because we believe if you could just build a place for God, God shows up. Look at this next picture here. This is one of the newest churches in United Pentecostal Church. This is in Gibson, Colorado. They are having their first service this morning right here while we're having church. They're having their first service uh, between Denver, Colorado, and again, Junction, Colorado. It's 300 miles, a six-hour drive, and there was no apostolic church in that entire 300 miles. And right there in the middle in Grand Junction, Hector and Rachel Gonzalez, God called them to go there and plant a church. 
church, uh, and that part of the world is so expensive. They had church in their basement and grew to about 45, uh, and they could go no more. But this is a brand-new church in a day building that's having their first service this morning, and it's only because of people like you that give. Uh, we gave them $50,000 to help with the rising cost of lumber, and because of that, they are having church today in Grand Junction, Colorado. We want to build a place for God because we know when God shows up, miracles begin to happen. Look at the next slide. Uh, this could be a convention center, 100,000 square feet. And some of you may recognize the building. Some of you may not. Uh, but this is New Life Austin uh, that was planted uh, by our general superintendent, Daniel Bernard. Uh, over 100,000 square feet, now pastored by Rodney Shaw. But look at the last picture there. This is April 5th, 1992. Uh, this is David Bernard in his living room, starting New Life Austin. Uh, in the background is Connie Bernard, uh, a man that's playing the keyboard. And you see a few scattered people in there on, sitting on chairs, sitting around the table. And when David Bernard started New Life Austin, amen, he had no idea what was going to happen. But even David Bernard just said right here in my living room. I'm just going to try to build a place for God and let's see what happens. And we've discovered, we've done some research in many of our churches that have received Christmas for Christ funding. And on average, when you look at the funding that they received and you look down the road over the years, how much they give back just to Christmas for Christ, on average, they give back 10 times what they received. David Bernard's church received a little bit over $200,000, I mean $20,000. They're giving back over $200,000 just to CFC, not counting Global Mother's Memorial. We're talking just to CFC. When you invest in a church planner, they invest back into the harvest. And so your $91,000 that you gave down the road is going to bring back $900,000 back to Christmas for Christ because there's something about giving. There's something about believing. There's something about saving. I'm going to build a place for God. And God's going to show up. Let's look back at 2 Kings chapter 4. What happens after she built the place for God? In verse 13, the man of God came back to her and said, what is it that you need from God? Uh, see, when you build a place for God, you don't have to chase God and ask God for what you want. God says, uh, what can I do for you today? She said, I'm fine. I dwell among my own people. But in verse 14, the servant Gehazi said, Elisha, her biggest need is she has no child. And look at why she has no child, because her husband is old. The reason she was barren, the reason people called her curse was not even her fault. It was her husband's fault because he was old. But when you build a room for God, it don't matter where you're from. It don't matter who abused you. It don't matter who don't believe in you. You build a room for God. And God said, guess what? It's not your fault. You're in the place you are. It's your husband fault, but you build a room for me. I don't care what society says. I don't care what people say. I can do what I'm about to do. Verse 16, he said, about this season, you're going to receive a child. And she said, don't lie to me, man of God. But look what happened in verse 17. In the season that the man of God promised, the child was born. Verse 18, the son said, I'm going to go to work with my father today. But he fell and he said, and the next verse, my head, my head. You know, something about blessings sometimes, they grow. And sometimes blessings, it seems, can turn to problems. And in verse 19, the father said, take him to his mother. 
Now, first, when I read that verse, I thought, take them to mom. That makes sense. I do that in my house, too. Anything goes wrong, take them to mom. She'll figure it out. But I read it. I said, no, that's not why. It's because she's the one that built the room for God. And when you build a room for God, people will bring you their problems. Sometimes you wonder why family members and coworkers bring you their problems. And you say, I got more problems than you. You should see what I'm going through. No, they bring you their problems because why? They know you built a room for God. Look at verse number 20. The child comes in. Look where she put him, across her knees. But then at noon, with that broken, dying promise, it died right there across her knees. And I come to tell you today, a promise may die in your life, but make sure it dies on your knees. Make sure when it dies, it dies on your knees. That's no time to stop praying. That's no time to stop coming to church. That's no time to stop believing. Let the promise die if it must, but it's going to die on my knees. That's where it's going to die. Look what happened in the next verse. Verse 21, she went up. Notice the word says she went up to the room that she made for God and laid a dead promise across the bed for the man of God. One reason you got to build a room for God, you must have a place to take dead promises. Because promises are going to die. Businesses are going to fail. Marriages are going to hit tough time. The doctor's going to say there's no more I can do for you. And if you don't have a room for God, where do you take dead promises? But she put him in there, and the Bible says she closed the door. Because why? You can't tell everybody your business. Some of y'all put too much of your news on Facebook. People don't care about you that much. Sometimes. Just close the door. Keep it between you and God. She came down in the next verse said, honey, I need a young man and a donkey. I got to go find a man of God. And look what he said in the next verse in 23. Why are you going to church today? It's not a new moon or a Sabbath. See, folks don't understand why you can't wait for Sunday sometime. Sometimes you need, you got a broken, dead promise. Uh, you can't wait for Bible study. You can't wait for Sunday morning. I need God, and I need God right now. Uh, I can't wait. To, I got to go find the man. I know it's not new moon or Sabbath. I got to go. But look what happened. Verse 26. The man of God said, I see her coming. Go ask her, is it well with your husband? Is it well with you? Is it well with your son? And what did she say? It is well. Uh, how could it be well when you got a dead promise? Let me tell you something. When you build a room for God, you just got to say, it is well. It is well. It is well with my soul. People don't understand what you're going through, how you don't lose your mind. But somehow, when you build a room for God, you can say, it is well. It is well. It may not look well to you, but the God I serve, I built a room for God, and I put my dead promise there. Verse 32, the man of God came to that room, and there was a dead promise across that bed. He shut the door in verse 33 and did all he could do and prayed unto Jehovah. In verse 34, he laid upon the child mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hand to hand, and the child got warm. Now, this next verse is where it starts getting kind of strange to me because that verse, okay, the child is coming back to life. So the next verse should say, he took Johnny by the hand and came downstairs and said, Mommy, look at Johnny. He's been healed. But the Bible says he left the child in the room, came down into the house, began to walk to and fro to every room. Now, if I'm that mother, I got an attitude now. Elijah, the problem is upstairs. Elijah, I got a dead promise on a bed upstairs. Why are you in my kitchen? 
Why are you in my living room? Why are you in my bedroom? And sometimes in your life, you've got a dead promise that you want God to work on. But sometimes it looks to you that God's ignoring your problem. And he's blessing brother so-and-so. He's blessing sister so-and-so. He's working on some other part of your life. I'm here to tell you something. Sometime before God can do what he's about to do, he's also going to fix some bigger problems in your life. You know, because the prophet said, I, I got the child taken care of. Uh, but down here, there's a father that's full of guilt because he knows the whole reason his wife didn't have a child for so many years was because of him and his age. And now he took that same child uh, to the field and the child died. Uh, you got a mother filled with doubt and grief saying, I told the man of God, don't lie to me. Why give me a promise and take it away? And the man of God was saying, guess what? I got this under control. Uh, I'm working on the miracle upstairs. But right now, I got to fix some other parts of this house. Uh, I got to walk to and fro. And some of you limit God to one area of your life. And you say, God, when you fix this, I'll let you work on this. And God say, no, 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 honey. I know you don't yet have a job. But I got to fix some other parts of you before I give you a job. I know you don't have your healing yet. But you got some other mess in your life. Because God says, when I get done, I'm not just going to heal the boy. I'm going to heal the mama. I'm going to heal the daddy. I'm going to heal the house. I'm going to heal the land. I'm going to walk around a little bit. And I'm going to work on everything. I'm not just here to fix one problem. I'm going to fix it all. So let God work. I tell you something. Never get mad when God is blessing with other people because when I go to the doctor with a sick child and other parents are in front of me and they call them and not me, I say, bless God, I might be next. So I don't get mad when God gets someone else a new car, someone else a new house. Never get mad because your turn didn't come yet. Let him walk around a little bit. Let him walk around. Fix everything. But the story really got strange to me in verse number 36. Because he went back upstairs. The child was now fully awake. The miracle had fully happened. But verse 36 is the strangest verse to me of this whole story. You know why? Because he told Gehazi, go and call the mother and bring her here. I would have thought he would have said, Johnny! Run downstairs and give mommy a hug. But no, he said, go get her and bring her here. Now, keep in mind, the last time she was in that room was a dead promise in that room. And this time on her way back to open the door that she had closed with a dead promise, she had no idea what was on the other side of the room. Maybe the child was still dead. Maybe he was partially alive. Or maybe God had done a miracle. And you and I many times, when God tells us to go back to a room, when the last time you were there, a dead promise in that room, you know what you say? No, God! <laughs> Not that room. My husband don't know about that room. My wife don't know about that room. My kids don't know about that room. That pain I suffered, uh, that loss I suffered, uh, the promise that died in that room. Uh, I walked out and I shut that door and said, I'm never coming back. Uh, because in this room, uh, there lies a dead promise. And you find it easier to work in other parts of the house. Teaching Bible studies, singing in the choir, teaching Sunday school. Coming to church, doing Pentecostal patty cake, knowing how to smile right, shake hands right, and say prayers. It's so easy to go through the motions. But somewhere in there, there's a room with a dead promise. 
When you thought God had a call on your life, when you thought God had direction in your life, when you thought things were going to be a certain way and some things happened, it didn't end the way you thought it would be. And so your way of dealing with it is saying, I am going to just close the door and we will never talk about this again. But God said, go get her and bring her back to the room. And this time, when she walked into the room, a miracle had happened. This time, when she walked into the room, God had done an amazing work. And some of you are here today. I've come to preach to two groups of people. The first group of people that have not yet really built a room for God. You've been coming to church for a while. You visit every once in a while to greater faith. But it's over in your life where you said, here's a bed for you to lay. Here's a table for you to feed me. Here's a stool for you to rule me. Here's, and I'm going to be a light to the world. You've not yet repented of your sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, been filled with the Holy Ghost as God speaks through you. That's happened for you. So you're here today, and God's telling me to tell you, build that room. If you're the only one in your family that's going to be saved, just build that room. You live in the worst part of town, just build that room. Just build that room. Say, God, I'm going to build a room. You created Adam. See, we got to understand, there's a part of you called your soul that's a hole inside of you that's big enough for God. And if something is big enough for God, and God is the biggest thing there is, nothing else can fill that hole inside of you. No amount of money, no amount of drugs, no amount of relationships, no amount of clothes, no car, no status symbol. There's a hole in you big enough for God. And because a hole is big enough for God, nothing else can fit in that hole. And so you must build a room for God and, and have that relationship with God. Say, God, you come inside of me and fill my hole and fill my emptiness. But I come to breathe, preach to a second group of people, people that have built a room for God, but a promise died in that room. And you close the door and you walked away. And you said, I'm never going back again. You know why that's a problem? Because every time you get ready to do something for God, the devil reminds you about that last time. Every time you get ready to take a step of faith and go and give and believe and do, the devil says, ha, 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 I remember that room that you had. I remember that time that promise died. How dare you think that God is going to use you again? But I come to let somebody know that we serve a miracle working God. I come to let somebody know that God has a plan for your life. And if you build it and God shows up, something is going to happen. But you must have the faith. To go back to a room when the last time you were there, a dead promise was in the room. As we stand together right now, put back up for me the second picture on the slide of our church in Tampa. In June of 2017, it was probably the worst month of my life. In that one month, I had more betrayals, and more attacks, and more setbacks in one month. Then all 54 years of my life put together, my family was worried about me because so much was coming. You have those times in life, storm after storm after storm. Then they thought my dad would need an open-heart surgery. The doctor rushed up to the house, but they thought he had a block. I told my mom six hours away. I said, Mom, I'm on my way. She said, don't bother about coming. You got so much. I said, no, Mom, I'm going to be there with you and Dad. Got up there on that Friday. Doctor ran everything, ran all the tests, and nothing was wrong. Amen. My dad received a clean bill of health, and I thank God for that. Late Saturday night, I said, well, since dad's okay, mom, 
I was scheduled to preach tomorrow in Tampa. I'm just going to go ahead and drive back to Tampa. On my way back to Tampa, I get an email from a former business partner. It says, Ken, just to let you know, I shut the business bank account, canceled the American Express card, canceled the gas card. It's all shut down. Saturday night, call my wife. So what are you going to do? I said, I have no idea. Monday morning, we have a group of guys coming to the office going to work. Friday, it's payday. I don't have money to even put gas in the trucks. We got jobs we're working on. It was devastating. What are you going to do? I have no idea. I said, well, I'll deal with that on Monday. Tomorrow is church. So you know what I did on Sunday? I went back to the place I built for God. The room, the place got called. I just, I, well, I got to go preach. I got church this morning. I'll deal with that on Monday. When I walked in that morning, one of my guys said, hey, this came in the office, a handwritten envelope. I don't have time to go into the whole story. But a Fortune 100 company that had paid us by direct deposit for years had one of the biggest checks my company ever received. Uh, and they mailed it to an address I didn't even have. And it came back three times. They mailed this check to the wrong place. And finally, the last time, one of the managers there wrote me a note of apology. He says, I hand wrote this envelope and I put a stamp on it. Amen. Because I'm so embarrassed that we could not get this check to you. And I opened up that check, one of the biggest checks that my company had ever received. So it went from saying, what am I going to do? How am I going to make it? What am I doing Monday morning? I said, guess what? I built a place for God when I don't know where else to turn, when I don't know what else to do, when I have no answer. All I can do is go back to the place I built for God and let God work it out. So if you're here today and you've not yet built that room, it's time for you to come and say, I want to build a room for God. I need a place to take ten promises. Amen. I got to build that room for God. If you're here today and you built a room but you know a dead promise is in there, grab your husband's hand, grab your wife's hand, come by yourself, come with your kids, but say, God, I'm going back to that place. I'm not going to be lukewarm. I'm going back to the room I built for you. I know it was a dead promise, but I know you're a miracle working God. I'm going to go back to the room I built for God. Because why? If you build it, he will come, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on with your hands.